This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, AP Macro. Um, welcome to the review for your final exam. Uh, if you're looking for the review, it's under the... Um, the fall exam, uh, the final fall final exam tab uh, in our classroom. All right. Um, so just uh, as a reminder uh, about the review, these are just the terms that apply to the material that's on the test. All right. Um, there's not going to be too many low-level questions uh, on there. You're going to have to be able to take the content that's that's given to you um, and apply it to you know different situations uh, looking at graphs and deciding what happened applying the formulas and getting the numbers um, so what I'm trying to get at is the content that's the stuff you got to be prepared for please just be able to, to apply it um, to the questions uh, and get the answer so uh, just don't go in expecting you know hey GDP is this okay uh, for a whole bunch of the questions. Um, there are 50 multiple choice questions. Uh, there's 35 from unit two and 15 from unit one. Uh, and once again, the stuff that's on the, the review, you know, that's the content that's on the test. Okay. All right. So first up, let's get through unit one. We have a couple things there. You got circular flow as the first one. And so remember, circular flow, that is the measurement of the resources, uh, the products, uh, and the money that flows through our economy, okay? Now, you practice this uh, with a, a handout and it had a circular flow model on there. Uh, just remember that circular flow models can vary. They're not, there's not one uniform one that we have the product market on the top and the um, factor market on the bottom or, or whatever it might be. Uh, it could be anything, okay? Uh, but what you need to remember is typically you've got the households and you've got the businesses, okay? The households provide the resources. The businesses buy the resources from those households. Uh, and you know, that's going to be down in the resource market. So when a household, whether they provide labor, whether they provide uh, land, you know, space, or whatever it might be, you know, that's providing resources to the businesses. Um, the businesses will pay them for those things. So you've got uh, that flow. From those resources, the businesses in the product market produces something. They make the goods and services that we as the household wants to buy. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, you got to be able to follow that. Basically, the money's on the outside. So the payments are typically going to be out the, on the outside, whichever way it's flowing. All right. Once again, there's no uniformity uh, to these things. And then uh, the resources and the goods and services will be on the inside. Now, for ours, we did have the government in the middle and the government can play a role in the circular flow as they both provide uh, goods and services to us. Think national parks and things like that. And then we pay taxes. You know, So that's that flow there. Uh, and then the, the government produces, not produces, excuse me, 
They provide uh, some things for businesses and the businesses pay taxes for them as well. So you have this whole flow uh, of items in the circular flow and it's just our economy. But remember, you in the, the product market, that's where we as people, citizens, uh, households buy things from the, the businesses. And then down in the resource market, uh, that's where we provide stuff and the businesses buy for that, buy from us. Uh, all right, absolute versus comparative advantage. Absolute advantage, remember this is where, uh, and you can look at this in a, a couple different ways. You can look at it person to person, you can look at it country to country, you know, however you want to. But absolute advantage is when, if we're comparing me and you, you can do everything better than me. Okay, whether we're talking about a job um, and it's, you know, uh, lawn services and cutting grass and weed eating, you can do that better than me. You can cut a yard in 20 minutes and you can weed eat a yard in 10 minutes, whereas it takes me 45 minutes and 30 minutes to get the same stuff done. You have the absolute advantage in those things. All right. Um, <clears throat> so in theory, why don't you just do it? You do the whole thing. But is that fair to you or should I pull my part? So what we need to figure out is comparative advantage. So basically what should you specialize in in our lawn service and what should I specialize in in our lawn service to do the most efficient job? Uh, and so we'll take a look at the opportunity cost within that and we'll have to decide who gives up the least amount and then that's what they should specialize in and then the other person does does the other. Now we could also look at countries and trade. So, you know, if country A produces this uh, and country B produces that, um, you know, we have to look at, well, what should they give up? And remember, we're looking at the opportunity cost there about who gives up the least amount. Uh, and then we decide from that who, who specializes in what and trades for the rest. Okay. Uh, the production possibilities curve. And I know without a visual, this is just a podcast without a visual, this is kind of difficult, but remember this is that graph where you just have the one, uh, curve, uh, but it's kind of outward going, you know, uh, it goes from, from X to Y or Y to X, however you want to look at it. And remember this production possibilities curve is going to, we're going to use to look and see, uh, what's being produced. All right, and it typically is going to be two products, wherever, um, whatever those products might be. Um, back in the old day, it was guns versus butter. All right, so uh, guns, military stuff versus household goods. So you know, if we're pr producing a thousand units of guns and zero units of butter, all right, and we decide, well, hey, you know what? We need to produce some butter then we have to give up some guns because remember we have limited resources. There's no way for us to produce all the guns and all the butter. We have to, we have to make some choices, which is gonna be something that comes uh, next, which is scarcity. So the PPC uh, just gives us an idea of, you know, well, we went from 1,000 on the x-axis uh, <coughs> to produce 900 so that we could produce 100 units of butter on the y-axis I think I got my axes right there. Um, then that's the opportunity cost. We had to give up 100 units of the guns to produce the 100 units of the butter. So that's uh, the the opportunity cost uh, uh, there. Now remember, if we see a point in 
the graph, uh, that's where we're not using our resources wisely. People are out of work, factories are, are down, or whatever it might be. And then remember, outside of the, the graph, outside of the line, that's where um, things are unattainable. We can't get there. Okay, we, we don't have the resources. I think in the PowerPoint, there was an example of, hey, you have, I think it was, I can't remember how many, it was like 50,000 hours. All right, and that's all you got. You can't get 60,000 hours out of the 50,000 hours. People can't do that. They can't work that hard. Um, so that's uh, the PPC. Now remember, the PPC can um, shift in or out if there's uh, something happens to our resources, you know, uh, the, the uh, workforce decreases or whatever it might be, we might have a shift in all right, so it would be a leftward shift, uh, or if we have more workers or a technological advance or whatever it might be, then the, the PPC might shift to the right, okay? All right, scarcity, remember, that is the fundamental economic problem. Uh, every country, every government faces that because we have, as citizens, unlimited wants and there are limited resources. So there's always going to be some scarcity out there. There's always going to be people that don't have uh, everything they want and or need. Uh, opportunity cost, that is the cost of the next best alternative use of whatever it might be, your time, your money, your resources. Um, so you're choosing to spend some time listening to this podcast and getting ready for this test. You could have been doing other stuff. You could have been uh, watching TV. You could have went to the movies, whatever it might be. So you gave up that in order to study. Opportunity cost of the PPC, we've already kind of went over that. Uh, remember to go from you know, producing this many units of the guns to producing some units of the butter, we had to give up some of the guns. Uh, and that's the opportunity cost there. All right, demand, remember that is us as consumers and that's us uh, purchasing stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> you don't draw, there's no way to draw uh, a demand curve even though we practiced it quite a bit. Hopefully you're familiar with it. Uh, remember the demand curve is always me downward sloping because of the law of demand. The more something costs, the less we're gonna buy of it. Uh, and then as prices go down, we buy more of it. Uh, take a look at the shifts and the movements. Remember a movement, <clears throat> excuse me, a movement on the curve is where there's a change in price. So uh, iPhones went from you know costing $1,000 down to, to costing $500. We can show that uh, movement on the one curve. However, if something happens and uh, iPhones stay the same, $1,000, but the demand for them increases, then we have to show that uh, on a whole second curve so we can see because there's no way to show the $1,000 and $1,000. Some of the things that will cause uh, the, the shift is what you need to remember. Uh, things like consumer income, consumer taste, uh, future expectations, um, all those things that go into um, the, the shifting, uh, excuse me, the, yeah, the shifting of the demand curve. Supply is the opposite. This is the producer side. Uh, remember, producers are different. They think different than we do as consumers because there's a constant battle between us. We're always looking for the lowest price. They're always looking for the highest price. So remember, uh, it's going to start on the opposite corner all right, of our graphs, and it's going to be uh, going uh, the opposite way of the demand curve. Remember, that's why we see the intersection sometimes with equilibrium. Uh, and the higher prices, suppliers are going to supply more. At lower prices, they're going to supply less. Uh, so we need to remember that. Now, the shift versus movement, the rules still apply there. Uh, a movement is when a price changes. You know, iPhone production 
uh, the the iPhone costs a thousand and it went down to five hundred. They're going to produce less of those, so we could show that on the curve. But then the movement, excuse me, the the shift. That's where there's going to be a whole new curve, uh, and it happens for some of the same reasons as uh, demand. You know, the cost of inputs um, and things like that. Uh, the cost uh, or taxes, excuse me. Uh, so you know, the government taxes more uh, and, and and whatnot. Uh, equilibrium, that is where supply equals demand. It is the perfect spot. Um, so price and uh, quantity, I mean, quantity supplied is going to equal quantity uh, demanded here. Uh, and so if you look at the graph, you can see uh, the equilibrium price and the equilibrium quantity. Uh, so you need to be able to know what happens sometimes if there's a shift and, and things like that. Uh, so for the test, I'd have a scratch piece of paper so I could draw some things out. Uh, the shortage, remember, this happens uh, when demand outweighs supply. So, um, you know, I, I was watching the, the Georgia Bulldogs the other day in the SEC championship game, uh, and I can't remember how many people fit into the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta, but let's say it's 85,000, all right? But 95,000 people wanted to go. There was a shortage of tickets. A surplus would be some of the other games that happened um, where there's 85,000 seats, but only 65,000 people want to go. That's a surplus, okay? And remember the price ceilings and price floors that can cause those things, all right? All right, unit two uh, is the more recent of our stuff. Uh, we started this back in October. Uh, so first up is GDP. Remember that is gross domestic product and that is one of our best measures of uh, success. It's one of those, just those key components that we look at, um, whether it be the government or economists or whoever it might be, when they're gonna look and they're gonna say, hey, the economy's doing well, GDP's up, all right? Uh, or we'll look and we'll see, hey, GDP's down, and that's a sign that, well, things aren't going as well uh, in an economy, okay? Remember, the, the formula for GDP is consumption. That's me and you buying stuff plus G, that's government, all right? So the government makes purchases. Remember, the government doesn't just have stuff sitting around that they get to use. They have to go out and purchase stuff from private citizens, all right? Investments, uh, and remember, once again, that is not going to be uh, stocks and bonds. Remember, those don't count, okay? Because they're not real tangible. Uh, investment is when businesses expand, they hire more people, they open a second location, uh, anything like that is going to be investment. And then you've got the uh, the final component, which is the, the net exports, um, imports minus exports. So we have to take into account how much we send out and how much we bring in. All right, so what counts? Uh, that was that. What does not count? Remember, uh, there's a couple of things that don't count, secondhand sales being one of them. Uh, remember, we only want things that were purchased for the first time. We don't want to count like a used car because it's already been counted once. And so that would inflate, artificially inflate uh, our GDP number. Uh, a house that was bought for the second time. Um, if you go to a secondhand store, you know, if you go to GameStop or something like that and buy a new, I mean, excuse me, a used video game, we don't want to count that. Uh, then there are the non-market transactions. Those are the things you do for yourself. Okay, uh, maybe you cut your own hair, maybe you uh, cut your own grass, clean your house, whatever it might be, stuff you do for yourself does not count. We talked about the stocks and bonds. Remember those things that aren't really tangible, that don't provide actual things that can be used, uh, typically are not gonna count toward GDP. Stocks and bonds being one of those. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and then the transfer payments, those are 
payments, okay? Uh, so money that kind of transfers hands and there's not really anything uh, given back in return. So we have, I think we talked about uh, during that section, we talked about maybe like a scholarship that you get. There's not really a tangible thing. Now you're gonna pay for college and that will count, but the money you get from the government or from whichever entity you get a scholarship from really wouldn't count. Uh, you know, social security, um, unemployment, welfare, things like that, those are transfer payments. There's, there's, it's just money going and there's not a payment or excuse me, there's not a service provided for those things. All right. Uh, then we get real versus nominal, <clears throat> excuse me, real versus nominal GDP. And so, um, we need to know, um, the, the difference here. Okay. Remember nominal that is going to be the stuff that does not take into account uh, inflation. And then real GDP is going to have inflation taken out of it. Um, you will need to go, be sure you go over the formulas for those. So take a look back at that. Um, you know, nominal is, is current year quantity output times current market price. So you did some math work with this. Um, so take a look at, look back at that. And then real GDP um, in order to get that, you get nominal GDP divided by the GDP deflator. Uh, so be sure you're taking, taking care uh, to look back. I'd also have a, a uh, calculator uh, on the test as well. All right. Uh, all right. CPI, the Consumer Price Index, that is um, our um, inflation rate, basically. Okay. Uh, and we are, we're taking a look at the inflationary rate. Um, of you know whatever we want to typically we're going to compare um we can use it to get the years all right uh or the the current cpi the current inflationary rate uh, but we'll also use it remember to take a look and see you know how things are doing uh compared to to back in the day you know how was how was it compared to last year at this time and things like that uh, and be sure you know the formula for cpi where you have current year over that base year uh, what does CPI not take into account? Remember, there's a couple things. They don't take into account the fact that we will substitute goods. Remember, you know, we're going to go out there and if things, if inflation has happened and we're used to going to the grocery store and we're used to buying uh, name, brand, name brand products, but those prices are way up, you know, maybe we'll start buying the, uh, the off-brand products and things like that. Uh, so it doesn't take into account stuff like that. Uh, inflation is pretty simple. That is the general rise in prices. Uh, prices do go up. Uh, over time, we're living through that right now. So, um, good time to be in a, a macroeconomics course. Not maybe not necessarily a good time to be going out and purchasing a bunch of stuff. Uh, unanticipated inflation. Remember, that's where we are unsure of. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me take a step back. Unanticipated inflation. That is where uh, inflation happens, and we weren't prepared for it. So, I don't know if you remember the the PowerPoint for this one, uh, but there was a prediction of inflation for the year being kind of right on track at 2% or so. That's what we're typically used to. That's what we kind of plan for. That's what banks and, and other lenders plan for is around that 2% annual inflation. But we have gotten way up there. We were at one point at 9% in inflation. And so people weren't prepared for that because it's not what we had anticipated. Uh, and so we need to remember who was hurt and who was gained or who gains from that. Uh, remember those that are hurt are going to be people that are on fixed incomes. So if you're, uh, if you know someone that's living off of a social security check, um, you know, that's fixed, uh, that's going to be someone who might be hurt because where are they going to get the extra money from? Because they get a, a 
you know, $4,000 check and that's what they're used to having and their bills are right around 4,000, but now their bills are 4,500. Where are they supposed to get the extra money? Uh, and then lenders, people who lend money at fixed rates. So banks, uh, a lot of times are going to offer loans uh, at a fixed amount. Uh, if that's the case, then they get hurt because they uh, are getting paid back money that's worth less. They want to do uh, an adjustable rate. Uh, and then who gains? Well, you know, people uh, that are paying back money in money that's worth less. So if you have that fixed rate loan, uh, then in theory, you're going to benefit from that. All right. Uh, unemployment. So remember, we have to figure out who's unemployed and who's not. Remember, uh, to be unemployed, you have to have been looking for a job um, within the, the last you know, couple, couple weeks. It's not something that, that you just, uh, you know, you're, hey, I, I don't have a job. Uh, you have to actually have been making a, 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 an effort. So you know, y'all being students, you're not technically unemployed right now because you're, you're probably not making that effort uh, to find a job. But once you graduate from either high school or you graduate from college at some point, you're going to go out there and you're going to start looking for a job. Then you're going to be considered unemployed. Uh, if someone has left the, the workforce, uh, maybe they're not going to be considered unemployed uh, because you know they, they haven't been looking for the job until a little bit later. All right. Uh, need to remember the formula for that. So remember, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that formula. You got to figure out the labor force. Uh, so the employed and the unemployed, and you take that uh, and you do your math magic with that. And that'll give you the unemployment rate. Um, the labor force participation rate is another thing. I don't think it's on this test, if I remember correctly, because I didn't put it on the, the review. Uh, but the labor force participation rate, remember, that's an important thing because you know that can give us an idea about the discouraged workers, people who maybe have given up looking for jobs and things like that, and they've just left the, the labor force. Uh, so it could skew unemployment. Unemployment could be at a decent number, but then we have people that aren't counted uh, in the labor force anymore, and so they're not counted toward the unemployment rate. Uh, the types, you got frictional, structural, and cyclical. Uh, remember, frictional, that is where uh, people are looking for their first job. People are um, coming back to the workforce. So, you know, I talked about you getting your first job after high school or after college. You're going to be frictionally unemployed at that time. Uh, someone, maybe a parent, has stayed at home to take care of the kids, and now the kids are old enough to take care of themselves, and they're ready to get back into the um, into the uh, workforce, that's frictionally unemployed. And frictional unemployment, remember, is why there will always be unemployment. It's because there's always gonna be people that have left the workforce coming back. There's always gonna be people that are out there uh, looking for their first jobs and things like that. Structural is the really bad kind because this means your job skills are not needed. You've kind of been replaced uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I like to use the example of a typewriter repairment person because, you know, I used to work on a typewriter. Uh, but now, you know, that's something of the past. There's nobody out there that needs to be a typewriter repairman. Their skills have been replaced. Cyclical, this goes to the business cycle, which was the last thing we did as far as content goes. And remember the business cycle, um, you have the ups and downs. And uh, in this type of unemployment, you get fired on the downswings. So you know, as we go through the recessionary period, people lose their jobs. And then as we come back and go through the expansionary period, people get their jobs back. So cyclical unemployment happens on those downswings uh, in the um, business cycle. Okay. Uh, and then finally is the business cycle. That is just the ups and downs. You know, if you had time and cared enough, you could go back and look at our history and you could look and see all the up the up and down swings 
uh, of the business cycle throughout U.S. history. It just it's stuff that happens. Uh, when the Great Depression happened, uh, you know, Herbert Hoover just assumed, hey, this is just a natural part of the business cycle. And so he chose not to do much uh, to help and, and do stuff with it because he thought, hey, this is what happens. America, we have a downturn and then we'll bounce back. Now, there was no way for Herbert Hoover at the time to know how bad things were going to get. But, you know, uh, as far as the, the business cycles go, it was just supposed to be a natural natural part. Uh, so you've got the types, you've got expansion. You remember that is on the upswing. So we have bottomed out and now we're working our way back up. Uh, so the expansionary period, uh, this is, you know, a good time uh, to, this is when people are going to get their jobs back, spending is going to be up, people are going to be out there, uh, and all those sorts of things. But remember, expansionary times does cause inflation. Now, eventually, we're going to hit the peak, so we're going to hit the best time we have. Uh, we won't know it at the time, but we will you know, top out, and then, event, and then we'll start going back down. Uh, that leads us into the recession. So after we hit the peak and we start declining again, uh, we get into the recession. Remember, recession is when uh, GDP has declined for, for um, six months in a row, okay? Uh, and that's when things are bad. People are going to start losing their jobs because people are going to stop spending money, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's not a good time for our economy. We'll eventually bottom out. Okay, so we'll eventually bottom out, and that's when things uh, are the worst. We won't know we're there until we kind of can look back, and we've started to climb again. Now, uh, remember, you got to be able to figure out the inventories and what happens in the business cycle uh, with business inventories and things like that. Um, you know, remember, you know, during expansionary times, people are going to be buying and purchasing stuff, and then during a recession, uh, those inventories will probably. Uh, increase because people won't buy as much. All right, so the inventories will be sitting there. Uh, all right, I think that is everything, and I did it in 25 minutes. Uh, if you have questions, if you have concerns, please reach out to me through email. I check the GAC email me, email me, uh, the GAC email in the evenings, uh, and then I check the Christopher dot daniels.23 at gmail.com throughout the day. So if you have questions about the test, uh, about the review, please uh, shoot me an email. If I don't see you or talk to you uh, before the exam, I wish you the best of luck and I hope you have a great winter break that's coming up and uh, I'll see you all uh, on the other side uh, in the new year uh, in 2023 when we'll get started with units three, four, and five uh, and get ready for our AP exam and all that kind of good stuff. Guys, I wish you all the best. I've enjoyed this semester. Uh, take care and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.